everyone worshiping with us on LiveGate Outreach TV and our podcast channels. I want to thank God for your lives and I want to appreciate God for the testimonies that you send in from time to time. I am very encouraged and the church is encouraged to hear that you are being blessed in the ways you let us know. And we believe God that as this is our covenant season of restful increase, the Lord will cause you to experience the world right where you are in the name of Jesus. We have started a series in the last couple of weeks on accessing restful increase. And uh, this is the third in the series, which is embracing correction for restful increase. So we are on the theme correction. We started with doctrine. We started with doctrine two weeks ago. uh, And uh, last week we looked at reproof. These themes were picked from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which we are all aware of. And um, the Bible says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Somebody say it's profitable. The word profitable there means it's beneficial. That means it is good. It's simply profitable. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof. We looked at doctrine two weeks ago, reproof last week, and then it says for correction. And then next week, we'll look at instruction in righteousness. Verse 17 says, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is the reason why God gives us doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction. So that we can be complete and we can be thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly equipped. Notice that I didn't say just be equipped. That we can be thoroughly equipped. Amen. For every good work. And the Bible makes us to understand that this is why all scripture is given to us. So all scripture is from God and is therefore profitable for correction. The word correction is simply the action or process of putting something right. Something is not right. Something is not correct. Something is not uh, uh, in alignment. So we correct it. That is why we talk about correcting vision. We talk about correcting the alignment of our cars, uh, tires of our cars when they're not aligned. Uh, These days, there are so many computers that tell us that even before. Those days, you have to just wait until your steering starts to shake. (laughs) When I started driving many years ago, that's, you have, if your steering is not shaking, your tires are aligned. <laughs> but nowadays, you have computers, onboard computers in your cars that tell you, even the tire pressure, amazing stuff. They tell you that your tire pressure is going now, you're like, what? Even my tire. So life has moved on. But you see, when something is that, when, when even cars that we drive need to be corrected for those things, how much more our own lives? When pilots fly, all they are doing every time is looking through their, their control panels, just checking for what needs to be corrected. Because when something is out of line, the potential for catastrophe is imminent. When something is not correct in any system, there is a potential that disaster is looming. So we don't joke with correction. So the Bible says this word of God is profitable for correction because the man of God must be thoroughly equipped for every good work so that the things that could cause potential or that are potential catastrophes may be arrested. 
So correction has been an area of misunderstanding in the body of Christ. And many times people feel that correct, when God talks about correction, he's talking about punishment. Those thing, two things don't necessarily go together. In the Old Testament, there was a lot of consequences of actions and inactions that seemingly met up with God's wrath. But when God sent his son, Jesus said, all that is finished. Because the time they committed the act and the time they had to make atonement was far apart. So if, if they were in God's wrath, they were dying in the midst of the sins that they committed. And this is very, very important for us to understand that when God sent Jesus Christ, grace became available so that the word of God now becomes the tool of correction. It now becomes what we should hear. Go back to verse 16. He said, all scripture, therefore, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's given by the inspiration of God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. So correction is not about punishment. Many people believe that God uses punishment. And they use scriptures like Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 to verse 8 to say chastisement. God says, for him the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son he receives. And when we read the word chasten, scourge, what comes to our mind is the way we scourge people, beat people, use you know, physical means to, to actually correct people, especially young children at times when we have to sort of use the rod of correction. Okay? And verse 7, the Bible says that if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. So people say, oh, does that now mean that God uses things like sickness and, and pain and, and all kinds of affliction to correct us? God doesn't need to use those things anymore. He sent his word. And the Bible says what his word does now is to heal them and deliver them from their destruction. So his word sends us correction. His word tells us, don't go this way. There is a direction. There is a way that is seeming right to a man, but the end of it is destruction. So he sends us the word of correction to say, go this other way. Leave that relationship. Leave that lifestyle. Leave that path. Because end of it is destruction. So when God is talking about chastening now, he's telling us about taking away things that soothe our flesh. Things that want to be pleasing to us, but he's denying us those things because he loves us so much that he knows that even though these things may be soothing to the flesh, they may be appealing to the body, they are not in line with his will for our lives and they have a potential to lead to catastrophe. You will not be destroyed. I say we will not be destroyed. Verse 8 says, but if you endure chastening, of which all, if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. If we refuse correction, we are not sons. Every biological father will tell you the sons that give them or the children that give them pleasure are the sons and daughters that are willing to accept correction. No father, no parent wants, is happy about a child that repeatedly flounts correction. No parent. The same way God is saying that he does not like his own children who repeatedly flaunt his corrections because he knows that his chastening is for our own good and when we don't receive it, what we are doing is we are setting ourselves up for many dangers. The chastening of the Lord is not about punishment, I have said, but it is about putting us back with sound counsel and direction. That's what the chastening of the Lord is about. Making sure that we stay on track. Making sure that we don't deviate. 
And so what is the way? Now, there are many ways the word of God corrects us. It says all scripture. So, I mean, all scripture is loads of verses. When it says all scripture, loads of verses. So when it says all scripture, it means that everything you read in the Bible virtually is giving you an indication of what you can correct about your life, at least what you can learn. But I'll just pick out some things. I'll just pick out some things that the Lord does for us in correcting us by his word. The first thing that is very paramount, and I would urge you to please write these scriptures. There are scriptures you know, I'm sure, in most cases, but write them in the context we are discussing them today for your own reflection. The first thing is that God's word corrects our sinful lifestyles. You see, the first thing that God wants to save man from is sin. This is why God sent his son into the world, to deliver mankind from sin. So the world, the world, the global world, 7 billion people, is sent the word of God to deliver them from sin first. To bring man to repentance. So the first thing, that's why the Holy Spirit, the Bible says when he comes in John chapter 16, the Bible says when he comes, he shall reprove the world of sin. Verse 8, he shall reprove the world of sin. And he shall reprove the world of righteousness. And he shall reprove the world of justice. We read that last week. Of sin because they do not believe in him, Jesus said. So there is the first thing that the word of correction wants to do is to correct man's notion about salvation. To be saved from sin. Those of us who are already believers, we have crossed this stage by the grace of God. We have believed in him. We have accepted Jesus Christ. So we are not being corrected from the sin of unrepentance from new birth anymore. Because we already have that by the grace of God, that conviction that we have have, uh, 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 used and we have uh, basically demonstrated to God. But in John chapter 8 verse 10, there was a woman that we, we talk about, the woman caught in adultery. The Bible says concerning this woman that when Jesus had raised himself up in verse 10, The Bible says he saw no one but the woman. He said to her, woman, are those your accusers? Are those accusers of yours? Where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? Let's read verse 11 together loud and clear. She said what? No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Contrary to what many people think and what is being propounded all over the world today, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. That's what John chapter 3 verse 7 said. God did not send his son, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be what? Saved through him. So when this woman ran to Jesus, she figuratively showed us that this is how the enemy is trying to chase people to kill them, to steal, to kill and destroy them and send them to hell. If that woman had run to another place, she would have been stoned to death and she would have split hell wide open. That is the agenda of Satan. So the word of correction is released to the whole world. Titus chapter 2 verse 11 says, And the grace of God for salvation has appeared to all men. So the word of God for salvation is sent to correct all men in their tracks to say, There is a grace available. Believe it. By faith, receive it, and you receive the Son of God, and then you are saved from the clutches of the wicked one who seems to who seeks to kill and destroy and send to hell. And so Jesus said, I do not condemn you as well. Jesus did not even ask her, 
Who did you commit adultery with? How many times have you committed adultery? What is it that you committed adultery? Where is it that you committed adultery? All those questions that our modern day counselors will be asking. Jesus said, had no one condemned you? She said, no, Lord. He said, neither do I. Say, but do what? Go. Read it for me. Go. Somebody say word of correction. Go and sin no more. This is a new face for you. This is a new life for you. Go and sin no more. And in verse 12, the Bible says now, Jesus now said to them, he said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He who follows me, he who obeys me, I will always be correcting. I will always be making sure that they don't walk in the darkness of sin. And I will always make sure they have the light of life. The Bible says in him was, that, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. That life is your light. In him we have light. In his light we see light. The Bible says. So we must understand that as Christians and as people we must be looking for the light. Every time we are to take decisions and things that we are unsure of, let us look for the light of the word of God that will give us guidance. When you are not sure if it is a kind of contract or business you should go into, it looks good, but something is telling you that it's not what, as a child of God, you should be a part of. Listen very well and take the light of life so that you are delivered from the darkness. There are many traps of the enemy in our day and age today. There are many things that the enemy will want you to do in the physical, in the flesh. He wants you to respond in a certain way. He wants you to deal with certain people a certain way. You need to always search out. Follow him so that you don't walk in the darkness that the Lord is delivering his children from. And the world is walking in. But you have the light of life. May God continue to help us receive the correction from sinful lifestyles. In the name of Jesus. The second thing I would like to emphasize today is that God's word corrects us from prideful tendencies. Pride. You see, the sin of pride, now everything I'm going to talk about are sins in themselves, but I'm emphasizing them because they are so common, especially among believers, sadly. Pride is very subtle. Many times we walk in pride. Many people, I've never seen a proud person who truly admits and says, you see, the problem is when they use it flippantly that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too proud for that. That's not what I'm talking about. But for somebody who is really in pride, agree that they are in pride is, is unheard of. In fact, many times when they introduce themselves, they say, and my humble self. <laughs> I don't introduce myself like that because I found that that is the most stupid thing anybody can say. Let people tell you you are humble. Don't say you are the humble self. <laughs> I thought it made sense many years ago. Then I saw that this doesn't make any sense. Let people tell you you are humble. <laughs> see, you see, I'm my humble self. Let them say it. Hallelujah. <laughs> but in Luke chapter 10, Jesus called the disciples. And he said, in Luke chapter 10, let's go. Luke chapter 10, verse 17. When they came back to him, they returned with joy and they were saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now look at that. It looked like a religious statement. It looked like a statement of humility, but was laden with pride. 
It was laden with pride. He sent them out to go and preach two by two. But they came back and they said, wow, Jesus, even though the demons are subject to us, and the moment they put in your name, they capped it with something that looked religious. But Jesus could read in between the line and see that it is not about their celebration. It is a subtle introduction of pride that is coming in here. And look at what Jesus said next in verse 18. Let's read verse 18 together. Verse 18. The Bible says, And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I want you to understand. That is what Jesus is saying to them. I want you to understand that what you are seeing is not the issue. The key thing here is that Satan is being defeated. Verse 19. Satan is being defeated. And in verse 19, he said to them, And I have, verse 19, he said, And I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by enemies hurt you. Notice he did not refer to the fact. He didn't say, wow, they were subject to you. No, he kept on telling them what he has done for them because the key thing is about what he has done for them. And then ultimately, verse 20, the key thing he wants you and I to remember is not the miracles we perform here or not. It's not the word we teach. It's not the songs we win to him. As good as those things are, he said, never, read it with me, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. That is the joy of a Christian. That is the joy and the expectation and the hope of a Christian. That is what a Christian must live to press into every day. What is the purpose of this life? The Bible says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What is the purpose of conducting deliverance and preaching thousands of messages and being known all over the world as a big preacher and miss heaven? What is the use of it to have the, the name in the society that everybody knows and everybody is always revering when they call that name? People, people, people bow in reverence and people say, wow, that, that name is a wow everywhere. And yet the person misses heaven. Jesus said, nevertheless, do not rejoice in anything you accomplished, either for the kingdom or not. That's my paraphrase. But he said, but that the spirits are subject to you, none of those, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, time will come at the end of the day. People will say, we cast out demons in your name. We prophesied in your name. And he will say, depart from me. You walk out of iniquity, for I know you not. Because everything they are doing is a show for men that is not having their names written in heaven. So he corrects our prideful tendencies and the things that the enemy seeks to do to preoccupy us, to make us feel proud and arrogant. We've got to be very careful. Every action the Holy Spirit is willing to tell us. Do you know that every step of pride you take, if you are sensitive to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will tell you that is pride now. That is pride now. On the day my, my uh, wife was given a, 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 a surprise party by the brethren in the church here, and you know, we're very thankful. And when we got downstairs, and I was seeing friends from many years before, and I was greeting them because I had to text many of them a week when I was told that the, the church uh, brethren were planning that. So I invited many of them. So I've, I've not seen many people in a long time. And some of them have never been here since we started. And some came once and I've not seen them again and all that kind of thing. So they were a mix of many people. But it was a very lovely atmosphere. And I was in the midst of all that joy. And I was so excited. At a point, I saw a lot of our women at the display stand near the food. About six of them were preparing to serve the food. And I felt like just going there to jump in them and say, come and take me picture here. The Holy Spirit said, that's pride, you know. 
<laughs> and I stopped. I'm telling you, I, I, in my flesh, I just wanted to do it. I didn't mean anything. I just wanted to go and say, look at these lovely sisters. And I, out of excitement. And I was going to go there and say, come and take me a picture like this. <laughs> that's, that's, your, that's your pride, you know. And I stopped there. I sat down, continued my pounded yam. <laughs> we do things at times. I had good intentions. God is my witness. But God made me see that that is just pride. Pride. So at times, you don't, we don't even know. We think it's just okay. It's just the hype. We've got to be very sensitive. And honestly, if I had done that that day and he warned me and I carried on, I don't know what the consequences could have been. Because that would now be rebellion to God's instruction. So, I'm not saying live your life gagged up. I'm not saying there's anything wrong in taking pictures. I mean, if I want to take a picture with you tomorrow, don't say, Pastor, have you checked with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> have you checked with the Holy Ghost? I don't want to do this. That's not what I'm talking <laughs> So, I'm not a freak person. I'm only saying that we need to be that sensitive. There are times you want to say something, the Holy Spirit says, no, don't say it. You don't need to. And then you keep it. Because it, pride is very subtle. These people say, we did all this in your name. And it looked okay, but Jesus could see that pride is coming in here. And he said, what you should be rejoicing is that your names are written in heaven. May God continue to correct us in the name of Jesus. Number three, he corrects our fearful tendencies. Number one, he, did, he does what? He corrects our sinful tendencies. Number two, he corrects our prideful tendencies. Then number three, he corrects our fearful tendencies. Again, the scripture you know in Mark chapter 4, Jesus said, let us cross over to the other side. The demoniac man was waiting for them. We read about him in Mark 5. The crossing over to the other side was really about that man. And the devil knows that that man was going to be free from his demons, excuse me, that day. And he didn't want them to get there. So he began to rage with storms and winds and strong waves. And verse 37, Mark 4, 37. The Bible says, And a great windstorm arose, and waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. And verse 38, But he was in the stand asleep on a window. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Somebody say fear. fear. This was Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, the Savior of the world, the Creator of the world, in the same boat. Can you imagine with you? The one who made the wind, made the storm, made the boat you are in, made everything, even the sea that is going on, is in the boat with you. And then you are saying, do you not care? We are, what is your perishing compared to all those things he made? <laughs> Hallelujah. Fear is nothing. I like something, Jay, yeah, uh, uh, um, American president, FDR, they call him, Franklin D. Roosevelt said, just before the war, he is one of the presidents that, in fact, the only president that had about three terms as in American presidency. It had never happened, but because of the circumstances of the world at that time, he had three terms. So he was in, in the White House for 12 years. Very unusual. But FDR was a very, very uh, uh, strong president and one that history can never forget. Never. He said the only thing to fear is fear itself. Say, don't fear anything. The only thing you have to fear is fear itself. As far as this life is concerned, when you understand that God is on your side, you have nothing to fear. Many people have stopped short of getting to Gennesaret to do the wonderful works God is expecting of them in their business, in their career, in their marriage, in their ministry, to the next level because of fear. 
They have stopped short because they listen to the winds and the waves. And Jesus corrected them, verse 39. The Bible says, and Jesus said to them, he arose, rebuked the wind and the sea by saying, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was what? A great calm. And then look at what he said to them in verse 40. Let's read verse 40 together. But he said to them, why are you so? And how is it that you have no faith? Why are you fearful? Husband and wives, many times God sets up one to be stronger. And I say one, I'm not saying husband all the time or wife all the time. God has a way of doing it. It could be one person most of the time. But in many cases, when one person is afraid of something, God would always put a bit of faith in the other one. Listen to that voice. Listen to that voice. Why are you so fearful? Why is it that you have no faith? And so he corrects our fearful tendencies because fear has a potential to rob us of our destinies. The Bible says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. This is who we are. We should never be afraid. I have never seen anybody accomplish anything serious in this life. And he was a fearful person. Never. Check it. Anything serious. I was listening to Martin Luther King yesterday, his last speech, the famous speech, the speech where he said, I have seen the mountain and God has helped my eyes to see the other side. And it doesn't matter to me now anymore. I was tough. He said, I can see the promised land. I may not get there with you. Because that don't matter to me anymore, but I've seen that you will get there. And a few minutes later, he was shot, dead. But the world, 50 years later, is still talking about it. You, don't, no, you, you can't be a willy-nilly and get to that point he got to. That changed everything. You can't be a fearful person. Nelson Mandela said, this cause I'm committed to, I am willing to see it come to pass. But if it means that I lose my life doing it, I will continue doing it. I'm not using the exact words, but that's what he said. They put him in prison after that for 27 years. When I went to Cape Town and I went to Robin Island about three years ago now, time flies, uh, and I went to the cell he stayed, I stood there for many minutes and many thoughts was going through my mind. For 18 years he was in that very cell. 18 years, history has, that he was in that very cell. And many thoughts went through my mind. A room just about the size of this place. But the world is still talking about that man today. From Australia to America to India, everybody knows Nelson Mandela. He gave his life. These people give their life. These are human beings like you and I. If God wants us to do things and we are fearful, we can never get anywhere. So every tendency of fear, he corrects. If you are fearful, you can't step out to be a bold Christian. You can't even put it on your social media page because you're afraid of people. Christians cannot boldly say, I love Jesus on their wall. But they can say, eh, Messi, Messi, is, <laughs> Messi is messing about with football. They can say anything else. But when they say Jesus, they say, ah, let, let, let us be political. What is political correctness? The man who is crazy about football talks about football. The man who is crazy about wrestling talks about wrestling. The man who is crazy about musicians talks about musicians. The man who is crazy about Kardashian talks about Kardashian. So why can't I talk about Jesus Christ? Why can't I talk about Jesus Christ? 
I'm crazy about Jesus, so I'll talk about Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> Everybody talks about what they are crazy about. Why are you hiding your own? Or are you not crazy about him? I'm crazy about him. I see Wolves fans here. When I used to live, I lived on Dunkley Street in, in, in the early 2000s, 2001, 2002. I see Wolves fans in the cold coming like that, shaking to go, to go and support a team that they don't, they don't even have a clue whether they will win or not. And they'll be good. Give me, give me a cup of tea. A cup of tea. Can I, can I give me a cup of tea. <laughs> they'll be drinking. It. They'll sit down there. And then they'll give them 3-0. And then they'll come out again. <laughs> Don't worry. Next time. Next time we'll do better. The, 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 guy, the, the lads are coming. They're coming up. They're coming up. You know. <laughs> and then I cannot wake up to praise my Jesus at 5 a.m. And then somebody say I call, I'm politically. No. You, you show your madness in whatever you believe in this world that we are in today. You show your own madness. My own madness is Jesus Christ. So let's go. Your own is uh, whatever. Okay, put it there. My own is Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. This is the way to go. If you don't harass the devil like this and the devil keeps making you afraid, keeps telling you things, when the world is progressing, people who are all kinds of, all kinds of agendas today, whatever they call them, they are promoting them openly. And then Christians are talking about political correctness. May God continue to deliver us from every fear. In the name of Jesus. Number four. He corrects us from ingratitude and short-sightedness. This is from John chapter 6. Many times what we have, we don't celebrate. It's very easy to make light of what we have. Your husband, your wife, your children, your job your church, your family, your country. It's very easy to be flippant about things that God has given us that are very good, that we should celebrate. The Bible says one of the disciples, this was of course the feeding of the 5,000 plus, John chapter 6 verse 8, the Bible says one of the disciples, Andrew, Samuel Peter said to him, verse 9 now, verse 9, the Bible says he said, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what intrigues me after saying this are the next few words. Let's read it together. But what are they among so many? Go back to verse 9 please. But what are they among so many? Immediately taking the thing that God has provided. There was nothing before that time. Five loaves, two fish provided now became something to be ridiculed again. Friends, let us learn not to be a people of ingratitude. And Jesus corrected them by simply saying, make the people sit down. I'm not going to listen to that that you are saying. Make the people sit down. There was much grass in the place. Many people sat down, about 5,000. Make them sit down. I don't look at the five loaves and the two fish. Friends, what you don't celebrate has no potential to accelerate. It has no potential to grow. It has no potential to increase. When you have something, what you have today, you have to enjoy and celebrate it. A few days ago, late, late, no, a few weeks now, late last year, just before Christmas, I said to my wife, I said, I have two opportunities to go and work for the university in Hong Kong this year, one very early this year and then one later on. I said, which one would you like to go with me? This is me paying now. She's looked at me and said, hmm, Hong Kong, it wasn't all last year I went. I'm not interested. I said, hey, you too. <laughs> you too. 
I'm the one paying. She's paying nothing. Just get on a plane and go and enjoy a hotel. Say, hey, Hong Kong. Was it last June? Ah, I'm not interested. I say, hey, okay. And I remember many years ago when we used to ride bikes together. <laughs> I would take one bike in Zaria. She would take another one. In Kaduna, she would, we would go on two commercial bikes. You know, you know those bikes? Okada, thank you. Can I forget that name? <laughs> Okada. <laughs> and we, she would follow me to where I've been invited to go and preach. That was how we started life. That was our date. Our date was going to follow me to go and preach somewhere. <laughs> and I would go there. I had no suit. I would wear my shirt and tie and preach my heart out and preach my heart out. When I finished, she said, well done, well done. Thank God for the word. We'll climb bikes again and go back to wherever we came from. And I remember that. Then very, very, a few years after that, that was 93, 92, 93, 94. Then about a year after that, God promoted me. I got a job, got cars. And then I, they used to go send me on commercial trips to go and do work within Nigeria. And I would travel to Jaws, Lagos, uh, Port Harcourt and places. Some of it are drive. When I can drive, I'll say to her, come on, leave your restaurant. She had a restaurant. I'll say, leave your restaurant. Let's go. I'll have this uh, appointment. And uh, I'll tell her the hotel that I've been booked. And she'll go with me. While I'm doing the official work, she'll be in the hotel. With, and then later on, our kid came along. And, uh, you know, we were all three of us. Everything. Like that. We started life like that. And then I started living in Nigeria. From time to time, I'll fly out of Nigeria and go and represent my company. Go and do short courses. Come back. She wasn't traveling with me then. But when I got to this country and God started to help me to open, I continued the same thing. The first trip we went together was 2005 when I got a conference to go in Athens, in Greece. And I felt so chuffed with myself that I could take my wife to Athens, Greece. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because a few years before, I was taking her to Jaws, my Duguri. Thank God there was no Boko Haram that time. Ilori, Lagos, those are the kind of places we were going. Today, we've been to Singapore, America, Hong Kong, and all those places. And I'm asking her, that will you go? She say, nah. <laughs> I say, God will help us. But I just put that in to say, you see, we were grateful for those stages. We were grateful when we started out. We never, she never complained. Not one day did we come back on those bikes. And she said to me, look, this is the last time I'll follow you on this bicycle. <laughs> Because she could have. We were only 24 years old because we are the same age. We were 23, 24, 25, those times. She could have easily said, like any 24-year-old, can't you see all those ones using car? <laughs> you want to break my leg? In fact, that was the common thing. <laughs> because those are kind of people, they break people's legs. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let us be grateful. I'm grateful for this church. I'm grateful for all of you. Despite the fact that I know that God has bigger things for us, bigger, bigger things, but every day I see you, I'm grateful for who you are, who God has made you, and how God has brought you to walk alongside with us. Let us be grateful for everything. Be grateful for your spouses. It's very easy to despise our spouses. You turn on the side of the bed and you see that face. And somebody tells you, why are you spending your life with this person? <laughs> That's the moment to, to overcome that thing and say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> This is the best gift given to me in this life. <laughs> but you sit down there and <laughs> he's even snoring. <laughs> Many people are on beds like that, turning, wishing that there was somebody on the other side. They clutch pillows. 
They clutch pillows. Clutching pillows instead of spouses. Many people have bought cribs in separate rooms to have children fill them, and they've waited 10 years. 10 years, no child yet. Let's be grateful. Let's be grateful. 